Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. I said, how are you? And I think I heard a snore in first service. All right, so we're in James chapter 5. Before we, we get started with this, I just want to say it's a privilege to be here. Your pastor, uh, Nick, is a good friend of mine. Um, he serves in uh, Calvary Global Network, the organization that, that I lead, and um, he's on our executive team. He probably doesn't tell you any of this stuff, so I'm going to tell you. And he heads up our church planting initiative called Cultivate, and he does such an incredible job. And what's amazing to me, and I just want to say this to you, is he does all of this for the kingdom work in our family of churches and still loves and cares for you, his church, as his first priority so faithfully. So I am a huge fan of your pastor, and you guys, I, I'll just say it, you're privileged to have him. To the glory of God, of course, but yeah. <clears throat> it's my job to embarrass him, and then we'll, we'll talk about the Bible. Okay, um, so today we've got a really fun uh, topic. We're going to talk about the theme of confession. Okay, um, so our text is in James chapter 5. We're going to focus in on verse 16, but just for context, let's read from 13 to 16. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God? James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you give us instruction. God, it's not just a, a rule book, not just instruction. It's a book of life that leads us and shows us how we can live with you and for you in this broken and dark world. God, you are the God of light. So please, this morning, open our minds to understand your word, soften our hearts to receive it, and help us to give you glory as we receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, as we get started this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you in here have children? Raise your hand. Most of us, right? Those of you who don't probably will someday. And kids are wonderful, right? But I want to ask you something. Whether your kids are grown or whether they're small, I want to ask you what your children's response is when you catch them doing something wrong and you call them out on it. Um, I have an eight-year-old, well, actually, she, she turns nine tomorrow, and nine and ten-year-old daughters, they're a year and a half apart, they're wonderful, beautiful, I love them. When they do something wrong and I catch them and I call them out, their response immediately is, yes, Father, I did do that wrong thing, I'm sorry, and I will never do it again. <laughs> you laugh because you know that's not true, right? <laughs> No, of course. I call Willow as one, and Winnie's the other. Willow out on something. No, Winnie did this, or Winnie, and they're always pointing fingers, making excuses, straight up denying it. Like, you know, the kid with, like, chocolate all over his face. I didn't eat the chocolate bar. It's like, are you? Okay, so I share that. It's funny. It's kind of cute. Not that cute. 
But I share it because, friends, the reality is this is observable in our children because it's the the natural reaction of human beings when they're called on things that they've done wrong. is to deny, pass the blame, make excuses, cover it up. That's human nature. And we observe it in children, but the sad thing is, is we don't actually grow out of it. Um, It's something that still comes very naturally to us, even as adults, even as adults who know, love, and follow Jesus. So not only do we not grow out of it, but this is not a new thing. This is something that's as old as humanity. So as we start this morning, I want to point you back to the first pages of your Bible. Genesis chapter 3, probably on page 3 of your Bible. If you're a flipper, go ahead and flip there. And we're going to see this pattern starting with our first parents. I love the first pages of the Bible. I think everything, most things, if not everything, that we have instruction on in our faith, you can find the origins of in the first pages of the Bible. In the beginning of Genesis, you know the first two chapters are really great. God creates all the things. All the things are good. He creates humanity. Humanity is very good. We've got this beautiful place to live with God, tend to the garden, eat the fruit. It's paradise. God gives our first parents one instruction though, right? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one tree over there, don't eat that tree. Chapter 3 comes along. You know the story. The serpent comes from somewhere in in the garden deceives Eve, our first mother. She leads her husband astray. They eat of the fruit, and then the world starts to fall apart, right? So let's pick up in that narrative that you're probably very familiar with, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 13, and we're going to see the start of what becomes a pattern that leads us to what we're talking about today. Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was good, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And I think this that we're about to read is probably one of the saddest verses in the whole Bible. They heard the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But, verse 9, the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, God, the devil made me do it. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So notice something, guys. I think you could see it as we read through it. From the very beginning of humanity and the beginning of our Bibles, there's this pattern that comes so naturally to us that we talked about, that we observe in our children. We sin when we're called on it, we pass the blame. That's exactly what Adam and Eve were doing. God calls out and says, Adam, what have you done? And he says, God, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. Simultaneously blaming God for giving him this wretched woman and the woman for leading him astray. And then he says to the woman, Eve, what's going on here? And she's like, no, the devil made me do it. And it's not my fault. This passing the blame thing. And I want to ask you, as you know your Bibles, how did that work out for our first parents? Didn't work out very good, right? The curse and getting kicked out of the garden and then now the downward spiral of humanity that we're living in today. Kind of bleak. How does it work out for us now? It doesn't work out for us well either. 
So something that's not new. But I want to pause and back up a minute and notice something else that's foundational to what we're talking about today and foundational to the way that God relates with us and we relate with God. Notice God's reaction to Adam and Eve's first sin. Because this shows what starts to be the start of what becomes a pattern. When our first parents sinned against God, was God's reaction to immediately reject them out of his presence and out of the garden? You read it. Nod your heads, yes or no. Was, did God immediately reject them? No. He didn't, right? Now, did their sin separate them from God? Yes. I was always told that, and that is a gospel truth, that our sin separates us from God. As an early Christian, I thought what that meant is God in his holiness, sitting up on his high throne, cannot even look at us when we're sinful because we're dirty and he's pure. And that he rejects us because we're sinners and he's righteous. But is that the story of Scripture? The story of Scripture is actually the opposite of that. When sin enters the world, our first parents sin against God. Yes, it separates them, but is it because God rejects them? No, it's because our first parents hid themselves from the holy and mighty God. So what does God do in response to sin? Get on your page. He calls out. Human sin, God draws near. And he's calling them. As they hid from him. So yes, sin isolates, but not because God's rejecting, but because sin makes us reject God. So what does he do? He's calling out. What's, what's the, the nature of his call? He asks them questions, right? He says, where are you? Who, who told you you were naked? What have you done? God's asking our first parents these questions. Now, did he ask them these questions because he did not know the answer to the questions? No, he's God, right? He was asking them these things for the specific reason that he was trying to draw out confession in them. Confession. He's giving them a chance to own up to what they did. They pass the blame, but he's giving them a chance to confess. When we mess up, friends, God's call on our life, it always has been from our first parents, it is today. It is and always has been to start by simply admitting that we messed up. That's what confession is. Technically speaking, confession is just speaking the truth about something. You can confess good things and bad things. It's to speak the truth. So to confess sin is simply to speak the truth about it without excuse, without justification, without blame shifting, and without qualification. That's what confession of sin is. This is what God's been calling sinners to from the start. This is what he calls sinners to today. Now, I wish I had time to go through a few different passages in the Old Testament to show this pattern develop as it leads up to the climax in which we find Christ uh, coming to call us to confession and repentance and freedom. But I just don't have time. But if you want homework, my favorite probably example of this is the example from King David's life when he sins against God and against Bathsheba and uh, her husband, Uriah, thanks. Oh, you guys are Bible nerds. I like that. And then God sends Nathan. Oh, gosh, I can't. I'm just going to start telling the story, and then I'll, I'll get in trouble. 2 Samuel 11 and 12, if you want to read it, and then read Psalm 32 to see David's reflection on hiding his sin and how confession was drawn out and what that did. Oh, amazing. But I want to use the rest of our time here to jump into the New Testament and to see two big things. Two things are this. Our call to Jesus 
when we come to him for the first time to become Christians, our call to Jesus is a call first to confession and then repentance and then forgiveness and assurance. And then second, our call in Jesus is a call to continued confession as we walk with him as Christians, okay? So let's see if we can get through this. First thing, our call to Jesus is a call to confession. I'm going to read three passages and try really hard not to comment on them as, they read, as I read them, but we'll see. Um, that'll show this from just let the word of God speak for itself, that Christ calls us to confession, to repentance, and then confession of him as, as king and savior. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, if we make excuses, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, speak the truth about it. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He addresses our natural tendency twice there, right? Acts 2, 37 through 39, Peter speaking to um, the multitudes on the day of Pentecost as the gospel went forth and people were responding to that, I think with confession of sin. And they say, now what do we do? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. So the call to Jesus, confession, repentance, and then confession again, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Friends, the truth of the matter is, is all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have messed up, just like our children have. Our natural tendency is to isolate, reject God like our first parents, make excuses, hide our sin. But the nature of that sin, when we're hiding it, when we're covering it up, as David says in Psalm 32 that you'll read later on your own time, it eats us alive from the inside out. Unconfessed sin isolates us and it eats us and it destroys us. It makes us broken people in a broken world. But the truth of the gospel is, is that God was not content to leave us in that brokenness, right? He sent Jesus Christ, his son, very God in flesh to this world to enter into the brokenness, to take our sin upon himself after living the perfect and sinless life, dying for our sins on the cross, going to the grave and being raised by the power of God on the third day, conquering our sin and death once and for all. So now we have the ability to come to God being honest and real with our sin, saying, yes, we're messed up. We're desperately in need of that grace and forgiveness that's freely offered in Jesus. And Christ saves us from that isolation, that self-destruction that sin creates and puts us on a path 
of for forgiveness and freedom that leads to eternal life in Jesus. Isn't that good news? Amen? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about confession. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. But the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner you are to the God who loves you. Man, what good news that is. Our faith starts with confession of sin. It leads to repentance and confession of Christ as Lord. But then, as we're forgiven and freed through confession, repentance, confession, it doesn't stop there. I think the majority of us here today are probably believers in, in, in Christ. You're probably Christians. But here's what I would say to you this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, you became a Christian through confession. But biblically speaking, and we'll see this together, your call to confession does not stop the day you become a follower of Jesus. Our call to Jesus is a call to confession, but friends, I would submit to you, our call in Jesus remains a call to confession, repentance, and assurance. This is a pattern and a rhythm that God calls us to be in as we walk with him. And I'll make it clear up front, this confession that we're called to as followers of Jesus is not to be saved again. It's not like you need to say the sinner prayer every day to make sure you're saved. No, you are forgiven once and for all when you place your faith in Jesus. It's a reminder that we are still in process. We are still desperately in need of the grace of God as he makes us more and more like Jesus every day. So our call in Jesus is a call to confession. I think there's three types of confession, at least that God calls us to as followers of him. The first is personal confession. The second is interpersonal confession. And the third is corporate confession. So let's just spend a few minutes on each one. In Christ, as Christians, we are called to personal confession, regular, consistent personal confession. We see this in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus teaches us how to pray in verse 16, part of this prayer. He says, you probably have this memorized, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Trespasses, sins. That's a confession, a personal confession in the rhythm, the blueprint, if you will, of our daily, regular, consistent prayer, right? Again, this is not to be forgiven again. Personal confession as a follower of Jesus is merely a daily recognition that we're still in process. I love that terminology, still in process. Because I don't know about you, but for me, when I became a Christian, I wasn't automatically perfectly righteous and holy in every part of my life, right? Nobody is. We are forgiven, justified, and freed, but we still have sin nature that wars against our spirit and, and, and tempts us and gets us to do things that we don't want to do in our spirit. So as we regularly confess and admit that we're still in process, that we still sin, and we still are desperately in need of the grace of God to make us more and more like Jesus, it does three, at least three things for us. I think the first thing it does when we regularly confess is it guards us from the entrapment of habitual sin. Did you know sin entraps? It entangles, that's what Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 12 says? Yeah, it's 12. Sin is, is like, it's addiction, truly. 
And when we leave room for sin in our lives without dealing with it, it actually enslaves, entraps and entangles. The visions I get for that, entraps is like a bear trap where you just step on it and boom, it grabs you. I think I like entangles better. It's like if you've ever taken a thread, wrapped it around your finger and broken it, right? And then you wrap it a couple times. Next thing you know, you keep wrapping and your fingers are stuck, right? That's the nature of sin when it's not dealt with, when it's dabbled with. It ensnares and regular confession asking God to, to search our hearts and know us and reveal to us what's unrighteous so that we can confess it, repent of it, be assured of the forgiveness we've already received and walk in that freedom. It guards us from that entrapment. I think sin also frees us from the pride of our flesh. Our flesh, some of us especially, err towards uh, self-righteousness, right? Where you've been a Christian for a long time, like you don't smoke, you don't get drunk, you don't say bad words and stuff. You're like, I'm a pretty good Christian. And let me just say this to you real quick, especially for those of you who've been a Christian for a long time. If you can go extended periods of time without God convicting you of specific sin in your life that you need to repent of, that's a dangerous place to be. Having the rhythm of consistent personal confession guards us from the pride that makes us think that we've arrived, okay? The third thing, I think this may be my favorite, is it delivers us from the lies of the enemy. You know, the enemy is real, and you know what his language is? It's deception, it's accusation, and it's condemnation. And as you do sin, because you do, 1 John, like we read, says, if you say you don't, you're lying, that's a sin. As you do sin, the enemy loves to whisper in your ear, you dirty, wretched sinner. You call yourself a Christian? A Christian wouldn't do that. You can't go to church. You can't read your Bible with those eyes you just looked at that other stuff with. When we confess, we neutralize the attack, the condemnation of the devil because part of our confession is saying, yep, I am a dirty, wretched sinner, but... Christ died for this wretched sinner in order to forgive me and set me free. Now there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Confession neutralizes the attack of the devil because it says you're right, but you don't have the whole truth. I am broken, but I'm also rescued. And Christ is healing me because I am in process. So church, our call in Jesus is a call to confession, personal confession. The worship source book says this, we confess our sins, not in order for God to forgive us, but sorry, let me read that again. We confess our sins, not in order for God to forgive us, but because God has forgiven us in Christ. I think confession is something that we are all called to regularly as part of our personal relationship with Jesus. But our relationship with Jesus does not remain personal, right? It's not just personal. This whole like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, my personal relationship with Jesus. Yes, but, no, no, not yes, but, yes, and our relationship with Jesus is necessarily a relationship with his church. Amen? You were saved from the isolation of sin into the community of God. But you know something that's true about the community, any community, including the community of God? When you get enough people together in close quarters, living life together, the sin natures that still exist that we've been talking about start rubbing up against each other and all of a sudden people start getting hurt. I will not have you raise your hand because it would be depressing. But if I did have you raise your hand of everybody who's been hurt in or by the church, I think every hand would be up. And if a hand isn't up, I'd be like, oh, just brace yourself, right? 
because we sin against each other. Our sin is first and foremost against God, but it is always, almost always, also against a person. Our call in Jesus is also a call to interpersonal confession. When we sin against somebody, going to them, asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation because we've been forgiven and reconciled to God. Jesus prioritized this pretty high. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24, he says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. Before you even finish worshiping God, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Friends, I think as we walk in this interpersonal confession, and, and now this isn't that we should be airing all of our grievances publicly or, or, or even confessing to one another like, oh, I had a bad thought about you yesterday. I confess to you, brother. No, but when we actually hurt somebody, we, we own it. We seek reconciliation. And then we have the grace when somebody hurts us to offer reconciliation when they confess. I think that is how we fulfill Jesus' call on his church to show that we're his disciples by our love one for another. That's John 13, 34 through 35. If you want to read it, it's on the screen. When he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. I would submit to you, friends, this love that Jesus is talking about is not the arm-in-arm, kumbaya, my Lord type of love. It's not butterflies and Eskimo kisses. It's sacrificial, sin-covering, humble love that was first and foremost exemplified by Christ that he calls us to have for one another. That necessitates confession and forgiveness of sin when we hurt one another. That's real biblical love. His love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? Okay, last thing. Corporate confession. Now, you may have heard me say that and you're like, hold on, I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm going to return to James 5, 15, and 16. Not as a proof text for this, but I think as something that shows that this is normative. Again, when James is writing to the church, saying, hey, this is what you should be doing regularly. He says, the prayer of faith, be saved the one who's sick. So pray for one another. It'll raise him up. If he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. Therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Friends, this is something that has always been a part of the corporate gathering of the church, the Christian church throughout history. It's been a normal part where the church, when coming together, would acknowledge in some way, shape, or form the fact that we are sinners still in process, just as in need of the grace of God today as the day we placed our faith in him in the first place. And actually... If you look at church history, and I'm no expert, I read one book that said this, so I hope it's right. <laughs> Just full transparency. The corporate confession fell out of like, popular acceptance in the Western evangelical church less than 100 years ago during the more attractional, seeker-friendly movement, right? Where it's like, we don't want to offend people by talking about sin because we want people to come here and meet Jesus, right? And I'm not going to offer a critique on that or anything like that. But what I will say is I believe, and I believe your, your, your pastor believes this as well, that what we do here on Sundays together should inform what we do throughout the week as we walk with Jesus on mission. And that's the intentionality in everything you do. I know this because I know Nick. There's intentionality in everything that you do. And I think that we, as the church of Christ, and this isn't a critique on your church or your pastor. I, you already heard what I think about him. 
But I do think that we would do well to return to a culture where we're not afraid to talk about sin together. Because I think the lack of confession in corporate gathering is what's led to this Western idea of putting on your church face, walking through here. You're screaming at your kids in the car as soon as you pull into the parking lot. You say, pull it together, we're at church. How are you? Blessed, brother, wonderful week. Yes, oh, praise the Lord. You were just screaming at your children. Friends, if there's anywhere in the world that should be safe to show your brokenness, it should be in the, in the house of Jesus Christ. Because it's in this place and this place alone that we all have in common the fact that we are broken people that are desperately dependent on God's grace for any goodness or righteousness throughout our week. And so as we come together, it should be a safe space to acknowledge together that we are sinners in process, forgiven and freed, but still in progress and process towards Jesus as he sanctifies us by the power of his spirit and by the grace that we have in his blood. So I'm not going to tell you how to do this as a church, but I do want to do this with you this morning. So as we close and we're going to take communion after we say this prayer, I want to say a prayer of confession with you. And I would say, if you have something personally that you need to confess to God, don't leave this place without doing it. You and him, or grab somebody that you trust, that you love, that you can confess with and seek repentance with. If you've got something that you've sinned against somebody with, that you know you've hurt somebody or somebody's hurt you, I would exhort you, seek reconciliation. Don't let the cancerous nature of that unrepented and unresolved sin be present in your heart or in your relationships. And then together, we are going to acknowledge the fact now as we pray that we are still in process, every one of us, and that we have sinned this week, but we are forgiven. And we um, are receiving and walking in the freedom and the sanctification that comes with the grace of Jesus. And then after we say that prayer, we're going to celebrate that by remembering Jesus, the one who accomplished this on our behalf. Remembering that he took on flesh, literally had a physical body, as physical and as real as this bread that we hold in our hands. And remembering that he had blood running through his veins that was literally poured out in order to cleanse us of our unrighteousness once and for all. And we remember as we take communion as well that he will return one day and set all things right. That's our hope. So the prayer is on the screen. And when I say corporate confession, I do not mean stand up and confess your specific sins from the week. That would be awkward. So if you're planning on doing it, please don't. But we will say this prayer together. Oh, there they are. Um, if we want to throw it up there with one voice, just as you do in your um, call to worship in the beginning, you all pray. So read that together, right? So let's read this prayer together. I will pray for you. We'll take communion and then we'll worship God together. Ready? <clears throat> Merciful Father, we confess we have sinned against you. We trust that we are freely forgiven through Christ. And we ask for strength from the Holy Spirit to walk in repentance and freedom. Amen. Amen. And Father, I thank you for each and every person in this room. That God, uh, if we are in Christ Confessing you as Lord, we are forgiven and freedom, freed. I pray if there's anybody here today who has not yet placed their faith in you, has not been uh, forgiven and freed, that today would be that moment of confession as they come to you that leads to this pattern and path of confession, repentance, and freedom, walking in true life that will last forever. And God, together we remember you, Jesus, who you are, what you did, and what you will do. And we so thank you, God, that in you and you alone do we have hope, do we have purpose? Do we have a future? 
So we love you, God. We trust you and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.